the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We can uh, roll into the uh, second hour of our three-hour tour and shift gears here a little bit with uh, a new subject. We're going to talk about a uh, new book called Universe Within, um, which um, basically explains how the brain is a physical model of the universe. And here to talk about that is uh, uh, a uh, physicist and author, uh, Melvin A. Felton Jr., who joins me by phone. Hi, uh, Melvin. Welcome to the show. Hello, Tom. Thank you for having me. Um, Now, I'm a little concerned, even though we're going to be talking about the brain, that this is going to be way over my head. But... um, (laughs) Um, but but let's talk about this a little bit. What do you mean, um, let's talk about the book title, Universe Within. Is that just simply saying that there's that the brain is a model for the universe and we have one within? That is essentially what that means, that our brains have the same or similar, at least very similar uh, structural organization and even uh, dynamics as the universe. And this is based on the picture of the universe emerging out of physics and the picture of the brain emerging out of neuroscience. And uh, how does, how does that, um, I mean, if we were to uh, take a, a picture of the universe and, and shrink it down to eight and a half by 11, would we be looking at a brain? No, you wouldn't. And that's a very good question. So what, what escapes the general public is, you know, the, the current theories emerging out of physics. I mean, even some well-established uh, theories such as uh, quantum mechanics and, and things like that can, can escape uh, the general public. But if you really look at the picture of the universe emerging out of physics, and what I consider is not just what we consider established theories, also the leading emerging theories, such as string theory, that's often touted as the main uh, theory emerging um, out of physics. It doesn't, you know, it's not a completed theory. There's no observational um, confirmation as of yet, but it's believed to be uh, the most promising view emerging out of physics. If you look at that view, there are aspects to the universe that are unobservable. So, you can't, it's not simply, you know, looking at the cosmic web of, of matter, you know, of galaxies, the large scale structure of the universe and shrinking it down to the size of our brains and, and being able to actually see, oh, wow, look, the universe 
is our brain. It's, it's, it's definitely not that simple. Although there, there, ha there is work being done to show similarity between the uh, networks that exist in our brains and that network of galaxies that exist on the large scales, but it's, the, the story gets much more, uh, it's much deeper than that. Well, let's let's talk just for a moment about string theory. I I think lots of people have heard about string theory. I'm not sure that any of us really know very much about it. Um, how how could we, uh, for the purposes of discussion and context, how can we define string theory? Okay, so most people are aware of the fact that. Uh, what science says about matter, you know, physical matter in the universe is that it exists of atoms. Those atoms exist uh, or consist of elementary particles, such as electrons, protons, neutrons. And you can zoom in. A lot of us even know that if you zoom in even more on protons and neutrons, you get to quarks. And then you have, you know, force particles exchanged between these um, fundamental particles. Um, but what string theory says is that actually those particles are a result of tiny vibrating strands of energy, extremely tiny vibrating strands of energy. It's theorized that they're so small that we don't have, we currently just do not have the technological um, capability to even observe one. And it doesn't seem as if we'll have that technology anytime soon. And well, so let, me, let, me, let me ask this. When you talk about, uh, you know, some molecular interactions between uh, atoms, um, we, we've always talked about that as, as though there were an electric charge. Mm -hmm. And there's this sense that, that what drives our lives, you know, our, our actual life force and and the force the forces in the universe were driven somehow by electricity but in the wake of string theory more and more i'm hearing people talk about sound and vibration well, the, the is there a different energy source for the universe than what, I mean, are we learning that the energy of the universe and of life itself is, is different than what we've been thinking in terms of electrical charges? So elect the electric charge is just one of the forces that exist in nature. It is one that is very prominent for us in terms of how we perceive the world. It's one of the dominant uh, forces that, that, that govern our experiences. But and another dominant one would be the force of gravity. Everyone kind of right. has an intuitive feel about gravity. But if you're going on, on much smaller scales, meaning on the scales of, of, of atoms and, and elementary particles, you get two other fundamental forces. You have the um, strong nuclear force. This force is, is uh, involved in binding together the the fundamental fundamental particles within the nucleus of atoms so the the protons and the neutrons well the quarks within the protons and neutrons and even the the protons and neutrons themselves within a nucleus but then you also have the weak nuclear force and this is involved in different types of quarks uh transmuting into other kinds of quarks so these particles have the ability to kind of morph and transform into each other 
So there's the standard model of particle physics currently accounts for three of those forces, which is the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, and the electromagnetic force. And there's even a lot of progress has been made to actually unify those forces. Gravity is still the outlier. Many people believe it will one day be included within the standard model of particle physics. And another way of saying that is that we will obtain a quantum description of gravity. Um, and that lies at the heart of why string theory is considered one of the most promising theories emerging out of physics. Right now, our well-established theories are uh, relativity, Einstein's relativity theories, and then you have um, quantum mechanics. Well, under most conditions in the universe, either one or the other is what you have to concern yourself with. They do a marvelous job explaining what we observe. But there are some rare situations such as black holes or the, the beginning of the universe near the Big Bang where you actually need both of those theories together to, to describe the same system. And that's where we run into problems. They appear to be incompatible. And so... Melvin, something you were saying uh, while describing the, the nuclear forces, mm -hmm. um, big and small, or however you phrase that, but the description of, of the way they act sounds very much like gravity. Um, the nuclear forces? Uh, well, they, so the nuclear forces can be uh, positive and negative. Uh, gravity is, is just an uh, attractive uh, that's force. The po that would be the positive side. And, and that's what I was getting at. When you talk about um, some of these uh, tiny particles attracting mm -hmm. to, to one another, it, it behaves like gravity. I mean, there's definitely some fundamental differences. I mean, the only similarity would that's, be that, that's yes, what, that... That's what I'm trying to learn about here a little bit. <laughs> because as you describe it, I think, well, why isn't that gravity? What what about it makes it not the same thing going on, but on a, uh, you know, very tiny uh, level? Yeah. So, the, yeah, just the, those forces become negligible at, at large distances. They're only... They're only relevant, say, on the, the distance of, say, the diameter of a proton. Outside of that, you know, the strong nuclear force has no, no influence. Gravity is very large scale. I mean, you're talking, you know, um, on the scales of planets, galaxies, you know, that's one of the, I mean, gra um, gravity and electromagnetism are, they have infinite range, while the electroweak well, the weak force and the strong force are limited to within within the size of an atom. But um, why wouldn't it be... Um, why aren't those the same forces but big and small, you know? Or, well, or, does, you know, or, or maybe, <laughs> maybe this is the uh, uh, quantum version of size matters. Well, you know what? You might make a good point because, like I like I said, I mean, the hunt is on for a unified description of of all four forces. So the thought would be, as you rewind the clock of the universe, which is essentially saying you get to the highest energy densities, like say towards the Big Bang, that all of those forces were actually one. 
But ever since the Big Bang, the energy densities have been decreasing and the forces have been splintering off from each other, meaning they start to behave differently. They start to become distinguished. So the first to splinter off would be the uh, strong nuclear force, then the weak nuclear force, then electromagnetism. And then, you know, gravity would just be um, the, the, well, like I said, that's the last force that hasn't been included into uh, the unified description or into the standard model of particle physics. And this is this is where I get confused between science and science fiction because, um, as when you talk about string theory, um, I, I, I've seen it used for entertainment purposes as mm. a way of describing parallel universes. Yes. Is yes. is there is there something? to that is it possible that there are um multiple uh timelines so existing side by side or however it would be laid out so there is definitely no consensus on that um like i said string theory in and of itself is not even a complete theory and it's not verified it's not observed but if you take string theory to its limits, uh, it, and even, even, not even, you don't even need string theory to come up with the concept of parallel universes. Um, some instances of an inflation, you know, how the universe expanded very rapidly towards the very beginning can lead to a concept of parallel universes. Even certain interpretations of quantum mechanics can lead to, um, an, uh, to some concept of parallel universes, but none of this is, is verified or observed. I mean, if we just stick to the vocabulary of it, I mean, it's, it's essentially impossible to verify that there is another universe. I mean, our universe is all that we could ever know. And so, you know, you start to get into murky waters there because that's Well, that's, that's why I say it's where I get... I get kind of confused between science and science fiction because I love to buy into some of these uh, admittedly creative explanations for yeah. how these things, you know, work. And and of course, what I'm what I'm really trying to get get at, Melvin, is I'm trying to get you and I to figure out how to close the loop and and discover time travel. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I can I can give you my best recommendation for how you can and travel through time. Well, let's uh, let's let's hold that thought for a minute because <laughs> I have to take a short break here, Melvin. Can you stick around okay. for a few minutes? Because I want to talk about this uh, some more with you. This is fun. Okay. I'll, I'll be around. All right. My guest is uh, Melvin Felton, and he is the author of a book called Universe Within that reveals that the human brain is a physical model of the universe. And we'll get back to talking about that some more, too, after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint, Our Voices Radio, a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Production and my friend Paul Herring. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And uh, we'll be back right after this. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Say, objection. Hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue uh, our conversation with the author of a new book called Universe Within that reveals that the human brain is a physical model of the universe. His name is uh, Melvin Felton. He joins me by phone. Melvin, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no problem. Um, just before the break, uh, you were about to explain how we could uh, time travel. <laughs> I'm I'm being facetious, Melvin. But but we were talking about um, uh, some of the open-ended theories that that we're just beginning to learn about, and we really haven't solved all of the answers and equations to things like string theory um, and other aspects of quantum mechanics. That if we were to, and and I asked facetiously if we could close those loops if we could get those those answers and, and finish solving those questions would we then be able to time travel and you started to say well if you really want to time travel and, and you were about to explain a, a way well, that we can time travel well i mean uh, the best example as of right now is if you if you could, you need to speed up. The faster you travel through space and time, the slower time actually elapses for you. So if you could take some futuristic technology and either travel through space close to the speed of light for some amount of time, or maybe even orbit a black hole, use the black hole's gravity to accelerate you for a certain amount of time and return to Earth, you would have effectively, you would have effectively been transported into the future because time would have traveled faster here on Earth than it did for you in your frame of reference. So it's like a, you know, that's, that's one of the best examples of how it yeah, can be done. Yeah, and, and, and I've heard that, that example explained. Can you reverse that? And you cannot reverse that. Um, the, only, the only hint of some kind of reversal occurs on the tiniest of, of spatial-temporal scales, meaning quantum systems and its... And even that is is not like a true reversal of time. And you said um, you said something in the last segment that that I, I, I found puzzling um, when you were talking about uh, at, at the at the moment of the Big Bang mm -hmm. that everything was unified, and, and well, then it became separated by the bang itself or at least that's how i understood what you were saying and you said the only way you could unify everything something to the effect of backing up to the big bang or undoing the big bang in some way and and i was thinking isn't that a little like unringing a bell right um so yeah i guess i could have been a little misleading um so no, no, I, this may not be on you at all, Melvin. <laughs> I told you all this stuff is way over my head. Well, look, the world's largest uh, particle accelerator, accelerators or particle colliders, like uh, the Large Hadron Collider in Europe, um, one of the things that they try to do is recreate the conditions of the Big Bang. And they do that by smashing uh, particles together at close to the speed of light. And that creates the type of energies that existed uh, just 
at or after the Big Bang. So th that's one way in which one could, you know, it, so first off, it's just theorized that the four forces can be unified. Uh, a lot of people strongly feel as though that's the case. Um, electric, electric, electricity and magnetism has been unified with the weak force. Um, and so the, the, the thought is that if we continue to reach higher levels of energy density, that all four forces will be unified. So that is still an ongoing effort to actually prove that and show that. Let's um, let's shift back to the to the book. The book is called Universe Within, and it reveals that the human brain is a physical model of the universe. What revelations about the universe and about the brain have happened concurrently for you to have have put this book together and 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 explained it in this way. Okay, so one of the, the big things would be, uh, the first thing that I, that I jump to when trying to explain to people how it is that I see this, right? It's, so let's, let's go back to string theory. We all have an intuitive sense of the three-dimensional space that we live in, three yeah. dimensions of, of space. And that, that, those three dimensions are called extended dimensions in in string theory, they're called extended dimensions. But what string theory posits is that, and first of all, even you know, quantum mechanically, it's shown that if you zoom in on space-time, if you like zoom in on, on individual, you know, just area of space far enough, what you'll get to is discrete chunks of space-time. Kind of like how there's discrete atoms that make up physical matter. Well, the theory says that if you zoom in on space-time close enough, it's discrete chunks of space-time. Well, what string theory adds to that is these tiny vibrating strands of energy need an additional six dimensions of space to vibrate into. And they posit that those six dimensions are tiny and curled up or compacted at each individual uh, unit of space-time. And so now jump to the brain. If we look at the neocortex, the outer part of our, of our brains, the, the most recent to evolve and the, the part of our brain is largely responsible for our higher level cognitive abilities. You can consider it to consist of fundamental units, functional units of neurons, and they're called mini columns. Okay, so these, these mini columns extend throughout six layers of neocortex. So you can just imagine horizontal slices through like a, a tiny cylinder right? And there's six layers of this cylinder and neurons are placed throughout the six layers. And their dendrites and their axons extend even further throughout, throughout the layers. So the cell body might be in layer five, but yet its dendrites extend up through all, all layers of, of the neocortex. So one of the things that I have uh, observed through my research is that if you look at the relationship between the connectivity and the, and the circuitry within a mini column, it's, you start to see a similar pattern to the relationship between the particles and the standard model of particle physics. Standard model of particle physics tells us how certain particles may transform into another or how they interact and can produce other types of particles. And I start, you can start to see, and I try to lay this out within Universe Within, a similar pattern amongst 
um, the neurons in many columns. And, you know, and many columns can form together to form even larger structures called columns. But either way you look at it, the neocortex is a modular structure where on the very small scales, there's very fundamental units of, of neurons that all interact together to produce the, the wondrous uh, abilities of our brains. So that's, that's one, that relationship. So one of the biggest efforts in string theory is trying to figure out what is the shape of space w with these tiny compacted six dimensions. Like it, there's a, an innumerable amount of possible uh, shapes, but they're trying to figure out which shape corresponds to our universe. So that is a hot area of research in string theory. And so my suggestion is to constrain that possible space they could draw insights from the mini column circuitry within the brain that that could very well point them to the exact dimensions of space time on the, on those tiny compacted scales so it's, it's called calabial shapes or calabial manifolds in string theory and they're looking for the the right one to describe our universe how do you you said something melvin that that caught my attention when you said the way you were explaining the way you see something you know mm -hmm. as, as if you know you see it and you might see it differently than another scientist standing next to you doing the same work um and 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 i guess what i want to ask is first of all how do we imagine these configurations and then how do you test for that how do you go about proving that the way you see something is the way it is well the way it would have to work in my and just looking at my case what i give is a qualitative assessment like i, I compare what i learned from studying the brain to what i start learned from studying what the picture of the universe is emerging out of, of physics so it's it's qualitative. It's not quantitative. It's not expressed mathematically. But um, there have actually recently been work to apply a mathematical discipline called um, algebraic topology to neocortical circuitry to actually quantify its its structure, or we call it its topology. But to be simple here, we'll just say you know the, the shape that the circuitry kind of defines, the the geometry that the circuitry defines well if you if you describe it quantitatively there now you have something that could possibly match what the mathematics and physics can can give you so you would have to transition to mathematics to make it uh you know more uh, more robust and, and and less subjective and is there something about uh, the the research that's being done into the brain that is suggesting configurations for some of these uh um that is so I, no one i am not aware of anyone that's doing research like i present in universe within but the, there is something very close or close enough to, to, to be kind of eye-opening, and I'll explain that to you right now. There are multiple groups who are trying to advance 
our mathematical description of reality. And they're basically, they're mostly doing that within a, a string theoretical framework. So within string theory, they are trying to mathematically describe our universe on the most fundamental level. What these two separate groups, and to my knowledge, they're not even collaborating, these two separate groups, what they're noticing is that, oh, wow, if, you, if we look at our equations, there's a way we can express our equations, and they seem to resemble the expressions that describe how artificial neural networks, uh, the dynamics of artificial neural networks undergoing learning. Now, what is an artificial neural network? Well, artificial neural network is loosely uh, modeled after the brain. So what you have is... For use uh, in artificial intelligence? Uh, that is the basis of artificial intelligence, yes. Okay, okay. Um, so that, that consists of artificial neurons and meaning... Now, these artificial neurons are, are not as complex as the real neurons in our brains, but they're inspired by neurons in our brains. And the connectivity between these artificial neurons, meaning the axons that they send out and how they connect up to other neurons, that also is not as complex as the connectivity in our brains. But nonetheless, it's still, quote-unquote, brain-like. Well, these, these scientists, these physicists, trying to use string theory to describe the nature of the universe are now starting to recognize, oh, wow, look, our equations actually resemble the dynamics of artificial neural networks. So from my perspective, I find that very promising. I'm like, you know, and, and look, and guess what? In the field of artificial neural networks, there's a big push to advance that technology. How? By making them even more brain-like, meaning make those artificial neurons more realistic, make the connectivity more realistic. Well, what's the limit to that? The limit to that is a, 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 simulated, a simulated brain, basically. And so if that resemblance of those string theory uh, uh, equations maintains through, as, as, our, as our artificial neural networks become more brain-like, and if that resemblance is still there, then there you have it. I mean, you have things that could approach towards a scene within our equations. Oh, wow, the string theory seems to describe the brain. Does that suggest that that some of the work being done is is headed toward um, some sort of um, artificial and reality um, compatibility between brains, artificial brains and actual human brains, um, so that information at some point could become downloadable? Mm, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I could uh, weigh in on that. Um, no, no, no. no. I, I'm, I, I guess I'm, I'm just speculating way out here that mm -hmm. you know, if, if the development of artificial brains is based to some degree on actual brains, mm -hmm. you know, replacing functions with artificial versions, and they become more and more sophisticated, the more that we discover and develop these um, uh, this equipment. Um, is, is there some sense that um, if, if it becomes enough like a human brain that somehow they mm -hmm. could be compatible through some sort of uh, 
bridging link? Hmm. Well, I, I, I would think that maybe that would be possible. I mean, people are already trying to uh, create additional links between different human brains. So if you do get an artificial brain, then I suppose that, yes, you could link the two uh, via some form of communication. But it would definitely, that would definitely probably lead to, you know, what we call general AI. Uh, so right now, um, our artificial intelligence is, is highly specialized, right? Like you, you train it for a particular task. Right, right. But if you then hit it with something different, it, you know, it won't perform well at all. But that's what makes humans so amazing is that, you know, we could learn under one context, but then be placed in a different context and still, you know, perform very well. And uh, as our artificial intelligence begins to, uh, as it continues to improve, then one day we could, we could very well reach general um, AI. What about reality and 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 god in in mm. the discussion of of these kinds of things especially as we talk about artificial intelligence and 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 replicating human existence mm -hmm. well let me um let me say some things about how do, how do you address that in the book yes um so i am saying that what I'm proposing in the universe within is that the, the universe is akin to a cosmic brain. Now, most people will hear that and say, oh, could that, could that be, is that the brain of God? Well, I, you know, the, the details of what I am presenting in universe within is that, well, it first seems of all, like a say, it seems like a natural leap. It's very natural, very natural. But let's think about a brain. A brain can cycle through many different states. We have waking states, and we have sleep. And sleep is divided up into many different states in and of itself. And so I'm actually saying that the current status of the universe, the way we are perceiving it right now, corresponds to a cosmic brain in a non-conscious state. A non-conscious state such as the ones that, that, we, that our brains produce every night as we go to sleep in during non-REM sleep. So REM sleep is, you know, the typical stage where dreaming occurs, which is a semi-conscious state, the types of dreams that we, that we all remember. But non-REM sleep, the brain is still very, very busy processing information, processing the experiences that you had from the waking state. But these states are generally considered to be non-conscious. Like we, we're, we're not, you don't wake up in the morning and remember you know, what happened during non-REM, the non-REM portions of this sleep. And so I'm saying that the cosmic brain is in a non-conscious state. So what that means is it's not a brain that is consciously witnessing or influencing what occurs, you know, while we are experiencing the universe. So in that sense, it's, it's, it's not like the brain of a god. But... You could take the logic a little further, right? We fall asleep and we fall into our non-conscious states, but our brain transitions out of that. We go into REM sleep, which is semi-conscious. We have dreams. We even wake up and we go about our lives and we consciously experience things. 
those experiences, what we do when we're awake decides the types of information that's going to be processed the next time we go to sleep. So then our, our subsequent non-REM sleep stages are influenced by our waking experiences. So you could say, okay, the cosmic brain is in a non-conscious state right now. But will it transition to a waking state? Does it, ha does it have its own environment? And look, this is about the edge of where I'm willing to speculate, and that is the edge of what I speculated <laughs> on in universe within. <laughs> and so Fair what, what I yeah. So what I concluded was like, look, if that is the case, then okay, then that, co that cosmic brain would start to resemble our traditional concepts of God because it would be able to consciously decide what it experiences in the waking state, which would then affect its subsequent non-REM information processing stages. But here's the key difference, and I thought this was very interesting. I'm like, okay, it can start to resemble our traditional concepts of God, but not while the universe exists that we know of. You see what I'm saying? It's like a separation in, in time. And to my knowledge, I've never heard of, of any, um, any concept of God stated in such that way. So I, I thought that was very interesting. And it is interesting. In, in, in fact, um, we're, we're just about out of time, Melvin, and I feel like we've just literally scratched the surface. <laughs> but um, my guest is uh, Melvin Felton. He is the author of Universe Within, which reveals that the human brain is a physical model of the universe. And uh, Melvin, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, the book, what we've been talking about, and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website that you'd like to share? I do. It's melvinfelton.com. Um, very uh, simple and plain. And from there, you can have, um, you know, you can order the book. You have links to Amazon. You can learn more about me. And there's actually other aspects of this project for me. Um, I really... Uh, it was really impacted by music, in, in fact. Um, I listen to instrumental music while I do my research, and when I feel, when I perceive profound insight, when I, when I, you know, that can be associated with rushes of positive, positive emotions. And what I found is that the music I was listening to was actually amplifying those positive emotions. And I felt like that propelled me, you know, through this long journey that I've been on. I mean, I started this in 2009. So it was it became that experience that I wanted to give to, to the readers of Universe Within. And so I actually started making, uh, producing instrumental beats on my own. And by the time this project is coming out, I felt as though I had a nice collection of beats that complemented the book and could possibly give the reader the same type of experience that I just described. And the, a link to those beats are also on my website, melvinfelton.com. Well, Melvin, we could do a whole show just on that, but um, <laughs> we, we've got to wrap it up here. But thank you so much for spending this time and, and your knowledge and, and uh, thoughts with me and the listeners this morning, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you for having me, and I really enjoyed it. Take care. 
And we're going to take a uh, short break. There's still lots more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead, but uh, don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse, and you'll be here when it comes Hello back. there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila, tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Actually, I did rather well myself this past Christmas. The nicest present I received was a gift certificate good at any hospital for a lobotomy. (laughs) Rather thoughtful. Now, now if I may digress momentarily from the mainstream of this evening's symposium, I'd like to sing a song which is completely pointless, but is something which I picked up during my career as a scientist. This may prove useful to some of you someday, perhaps, in a somewhat bizarre set of circumstances. It's simply the names of the chemical elements set to a possibly recognizable tune. Arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and golden protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. There's yttrium, ytterbium, actinium, rubidium, and boron, gadolinium, niobium, iridium, and strontium, and silicon, and silver, and samarium, and bismuth, bromine, lithium, beryllium, and barium. Isn't that interesting? I knew you would. I hope you're all taking notes because there's going to be a short quiz next period. There's holmium and helium and hafnium and erbium and phosphorus and francium and fluorine and terbium and manganese and mercalium and lithium and magnesium and dysprosium and scandium and cerium and cesium and lead, praseodymium and platinum and plutonium, palladium, promethium, potassium, polonium and tantalum, tenesium, titanium, tellurium and cadmium and calcium and chromium and curium. There's sulfur, californium, and fermium, berkelium, and also mendelevium, einsteinium, nobelium, and arc, and krypton, neon, radon, xenon, zinc, and rhodium, and chlorine, carbon, cobalt, copper, tungsten, tin, and sodium. These are the only ones of which the news has come to Harvard. And there may be many others, but they haven't been discovered. There are many shows on the world which are basically interview shows, and they start out in a very austere setting. Uh, there's a the interviewer, He sits behind a desk, and in the background somewhere, some figure in the news sits. He's later in the show blinded by a spotlight. (laughs) I'd like to present one of these shows. They start off very dramatically, something like this. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Wallace, Nightline. Our guest in the studio tonight is Dr. Warner von Warner one of the many German missile scientists involved in our American missile program. Dr. von Warner, I suppose the question most often asked you, you were involved in the German missile program, you're now involved in our missile program. Was the fact that you were involved in the German missile program 
a matter of political conviction, or was this political expediency on your part? <laughs> oh boy, that one, huh? Actually, I didn't, I didn't have that much to do with it, to tell you the truth. Um, this is back around 1940. I was working at a beer garden in Stuttgart. <laughs> and like on Friday night, you know, the waitresses and the waiters, we'd go to one of the girls' pads, you know, and <laughs> order some pizzas and some schnapps and get half-gassed, you know. <laughs> and I used to fool around with these inventions, you know, and I'd take this tin can and put a firecracker underneath it, and I like the firecracker, and the thing go four or five feet up in the air, you know. And everybody say, what the hell was that? Or what a nut that Warner is. Somebody want to get Warner's hat. You know, something like that. Except this one party, a little guy walks over, he's got a little mustache. And a... <laughs> Piece of hair falling on his eye. He says, hey, that, uh, that was interesting what you did with a, with a tin can there. <laughs> But, uh, but, uh, what causes that? I said, well, see, that's, um, for every action, there's a reaction, you see. And the, the force of the firecracker is it's, see, it's, first of all, it starts toward the floor. But the top of your can, see, it's, every time I do it, it jumps forward. He says, what, uh, what do you call that thing there? I said, that's, uh, that's a Arcot. It's named after my landlord, Irving Arcot. <laughs> See, I was, I was about three months behind in the end, you know, and comes a knock at the door, and he says, look, Warner, you know, you gotta knock off with the firecrackers in the middle of the night, you know, because the neighbors are complaining, and don't hand me the Madame Curie bit, you know what I mean? <laughs> what her landlord wanted to do about her rent, that's his business, I want my rent, See, I said, look, I'm working on an invention. If it works out, I'll name it after you. He says, you're going to call it an Irving? <laughs> so, no, I'm going to call it an Arcot. So anyway, the guy at the party, little mustache, piece of hair falling in his eyes, he says, that would make a terrific weapon, you know that? <laughs> I said, well, you'd have to get out on top of the guy. <laughs> hit him in the face or something like that with, with a tin can to really hurt him. I think your big problem is going to be getting that close to the guy, you know? He says, no, no, what if, what if we took a hundred firecrackers and a great big tin can, see? I said, well, we saw of that, but your problem there is, see, by the time you light the fuse on the last firecracker, He said, look, the, the, reason, the reason I'm asking you all this, I'm headed to German people. I said, oh. <laughs> I said, so, you know, congratulations. I, you know. <laughs> I hadn't seen a paper in a couple of days, so I took a verse. <laughs> he says, would you like to be involved in our missile program? I said, well, you know, I got a pretty good thing going at the, at the beer garden. You know, he says, look. 
He said, it's a civil service job. <laughs> Three fifty a month. When you're 55, you go down to Baden Baden and forget the whole scene. <laughs> so anyway, all they want me to do, I sign these requisitions. Liquid oxygen, I don't know what it is, I'm signing Warner von Warner, and every month, 350, there it is, like clockwork. <laughs> anyway, make a long story short, we lose the war. <laughs> and the Americans come to me, you know, and I've been getting offers from the Russians and all that, and they say, look, Warner, you know, we've seen your name on some of the requisitions, and uh, how'd you like to be involved in the American Missile Program, you know? I said, look, actually, I didn't have that much to do with it, you see. I mean, I was at this party in Stuttgart, see? They <laughs> said, never mind, never mind, we need a name. No, we... So anyway, I, I, I took the job, and uh, there it is, 450 a month. When I'm 55, I go down to Fort Lauderdale, and... <laughs> it's a pretty good deal. Well, uh... Dr. Von Warner, our time is running out on us. Uh, we have now put a man in space. The Russians, some two or three weeks before that, had put a man in space. Was this the eventual plan of the German missile program to put a man in space? Oh, we, we put a man in space. Oh, sure, back in uh, 1940. I put my brother-in-law, Herman, I put him <laughs> Well, now, that's amazing because, of course, the, the big problem we found uh, putting a man in space was the problem of reentry. And apparently, in 1940, you had already solved that problem. Well, what problem is this you're talking about? <laughs> well, Dr. Von Warner, we want to thank you very much for stopping by and wish you continued success. Well, thank you very much. Now, are you going to give me the money or are you send a check to me? <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.